Hello, this is Coming to the Mat, podcast from the Melanesian Women Today Impact Service Series. Told through the lens of everyday, ordinary Pacific Island women, the Mat series seeks to break cultural barriers and invite listeners to hear real human stories of making a difference. The stories you will hear from the series balance diverse interests and weave together the story of courageous women who dedicate their lives to making a difference in their communities and country. Coming to the Mat series is a safe space that allows for women in the Pacific to use their voices. It also explores the integral aspects of women's lives all across the South Pacific and gives the listener a window into the many different issues women face through storytelling. Hello everyone, this is Dr. Mera Tarisovic, your host on Coming to the Mat. Here on Coming to the Mat podcast, we like to engage leading thinkers to take their seat on the mat with us so we can story on about the kind of transformations required to create a more sustainable, peaceful and just world. So on today's podcast or episode, we are going to discuss how one country in the South Pacific, mainly in the Melanesian region, the country of Vanuatu, has taken a different approach to development in order to progress after 41 years of independence. In other words, an approach that look at alternative economic indicators of progress or development based on the well-being of people instead of using GDP. One that is based on happiness and at the same time reflects Melanesian values and Christ- Christian principles. So those goals or the goal of these indicators, hopefully, I'm sure, will drive the country and the society in a certain direction and also determine the policy agenda set by the government. These indicators also help to modify the existing progressive measures accepted by international uh, agencies or governments and by aid agencies to, in order to better track the factors that contribute specifically to Nivanuatu well-being. So in a 2012 pilot study called the Alternative Indicators of Well-being for Melanesia, particularly in Vanuatu, three variables were identified as the domains or the dominant factors of well-being based on two principles or factors, the Melanesian values and Christian principles, as outlined in Vanuatu's constitution. So these three unique domains of well-beings that were selected and exploited during the study were resource access, cultural practice, and community vitality in order to better track the factors that contribute, again, specifically to Nivanuatu well-being. So on the mat with me today, I have Mr. Jamie Tangwe, who will talk about why the country has, take, has chosen to take this part, how and what was involved in this transformation and the ongoing transformation. Now, a little bit about Jamie. He is the coordinator of, of the well-being indicators of um, alternative indicators of well-being for Melanesia Project based in Vanuatu, where he's currently at. And in 2009, he consulted for the Cross National Happiness, Gross National Happiness Commission of Bhutan where he assisted with the development of the Gross National Happiness Impact Assessment Tool for streaming, streaming, Streamlining GNH into National Policy Program and Project Development and Selection Procedures. Now, before that, Jamie served as a Peace Corps volunteers, uh, volunteer for four years in Vanuatu and also as a coordinator for traditional economy for a year which has accumulated into what he's currently doing. 
and of course uh, we're going to talk to him about that right now being the coordinator of the alternative indicators of well-being in melanesia project based in vanuatu so jamie has a ba in economics and international affairs from the university of new hampshire and an ma in international relations and human development for the from the john johns hopkins university School of Advanced International Studies in the U.S. So hello, Jimmy Long Yu. Uh, you also want him. Hello, Mary. Me good. It's good <laughs> to hear from you. Me good to So thank you for me today, Long. Uh, welcome and welcome me, welcome you, Long, coming to the mat. I'm glad you can join me. I've just been introducing him in our Bishlama, uh, national language of Vanuatu. As I said, he was a Peace Corps volunteer, so he speaks... Um, quite um, lengthy and fluent Bishlama. So you may hear a little bit of Bishlama once here and there in our conversation. So I'm glad that you can join me to talk about alternative indicators of well-being. And in this case, uh, we're going to, of course, story on about the current project or the project that you've been involved in. Um, so I guess we should start off by you saying a little bit about yourself before we get going on some of my questions that I've been eager to ask you. Uh, thank you, Mary. It's my pleasure to to be with you here today uh, on the mat, as we say, mm. and yes. um, <laughs> and be able to discuss the initiative, the Vanuatu Initiative uh, for developing and uh, and using uh, alternative indicators of well-being uh, to help guide decision making for the country and change the way development decisions are made. Um, my background. I think you gave a really good introduction. I'm from the United States. I now have dual citizenship in Vanuatu. Um, and I've been here for almost 20 years now. Um, Vanuatu is, uh, is home to me, as is northern New Hampshire. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, happy and uh, pleased to be with you today. Oh, thank you. Um, and I know that a lot of our listeners will be excited to learn about this wonderful project because it is uh, something that has been widely and is becoming a common theme across the world, especially in the state, how things are progressing. So I guess my first question to you is, why is it important to have an alternative indicator of, of well-being uh, for Melanesia? But before we, you elaborate on that, maybe you could define well-being first for our listeners. In the in the case the case of your your the project that you're involved in, so well-being is uh, subjective, right? Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. uh, what creates a good life for one person might be totally different from another person or another culture, another country, another context. So well-being is meant to be a fluid concept that is defined at the individual level. Uh, when we measure well-being, we measure well-being with uh, uh, with methods that have been developed and tested since the 70s mm. uh, that really capture how someone perceives the quality of their life to be. Mm. Um, and this helps to get a better understanding of the quality of their life. And when you group people together, you start to see patterns and you start to see, you start to build a profile of what a thriving individual looks like. Um, in Vanuatu or in any in any country, any context, um, when we when we developed the indicators of well-being in Vanuatu, we had initially called them alternative indicators, and the purpose of calling them alternative was not for them to take the place or replace GDP as a metric of well-being. GDP is a metric of of economic well-being. It's a, it's a measure of the, the well-being of the economy. It is not a measure of well-being of humans. And mm -hmm. so that's the big uh, difference that we wanted to, to make clear is that 
while GDP does go a long way in giving us information on the health and vitality of the cash economy, it does not tell us anything about the, the traditional economy that's very vibrant and alive here in Vanuatu. And it doesn't give us information on things that people value dearly. So, for example, um, uh, we found through our social research, like you said, that those three domains are, are, are unique. I like that you use that term unique because they did not exist in official statistics before this project initiated. Hmm. So when we talk about indigenous access to traditional lands, forests, and marine resources, that information was not collected through the National Statistics Office. It was not published. It was not made available for decision making. Uh, so the policy realm was devoid of anything that had to do with you know, people's access to those resources. The same is said with uh, knowledge and practice to be to be useful. Uh, to, to sorry, not to be useful, but if with if you have access but you don't have the knowledge to be productive with those mm. resources that you have access to, then the access loses its value a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. So we also look at a whole domain on knowledge, traditional knowledge and access, um, and in there we look at language. We look at you know. Participation. We also look at um, uh, access to traditional wealth items, so mm -hmm. things that have exchange value and custom. And these are all things that give us an idea of productivity in the traditional economy and uh, interaction in the traditional economy and social networks. And that brings us to the, the final domain that was never previously considered for official statistics, which is community vitality. Looking at leadership, looking at participation, looking at um, support and reciprocity. Mm -hmm. So essentially the reason why uh, these indicators um, were felt, there was, there, was a, there was a common sense that we needed them in Vanuatu mm -hmm. because we wanted to reflect Melanesian values into the indicators that were being used to guide decisions uh, mm. on development and, and uh, investment and everything. Mm. Um, so maybe that's a long, too long of an answer, but uh, yeah. No, that, that's perfect. So focusing on the Melanesian values and Christian principle, obviously from based on the constitution. Um, so at what point in, did the government decided, I'm, I'm going to kind of weave that into question too, that we need something different. We need some sort of a different form of uh, measurement in order to pro progress after, what was it, like 41? What, you started off the project, the earlier project was 12 years ago. So that's like 30 something years of independence, right? For if my math is correct. And then um, wh who, who was the one behind instigating this to be something that needs to, to come on so that we can, you can have a different, um, you know, looking at measuring um, those indicators in a way that it's, it's sustainable and it's also within that realm of Melanesian values and Christian principle. Was it from the cultural center, or was it was it something that was prior to independence, but never was really established? So uh, um, the project has um, an organic uh, beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, since independence, there have been movements in Vanuatu that have arisen based on the need to uh, reclaim indigenous rights over uh, natural resources. So what was what was happening was that uh, land leasing and mm. um, subdivisions and uh, there, there were a lot of sort of corrupt dealings with land that were that people were expressing a need to address. In 2006, there was a national land summit Mm -hmm. um, where people voiced their concerns very loudly. Uh, prior to that, there was a, a, a regional meeting in Malakula where I, I don't remember the name of that meeting, but mm -hmm. where individuals were voicing their concern about um, noticing the stock of uh, pigs that were used in exchange going down. Mm -hmm. People were raising less pigs. They were concerned about that. They were concerned about 
uh, availability of uh, other things that have uh, traditional value that they're seeing no longer readily available. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, there were these concerns about, yes, we're independent, but we're seeing uh, a loss in our access to traditional wealth, and mm -hmm. that includes our access to resources as well. So these concerns sort of compiled, and in 2007, 2008, the government declared these the year of traditional economy. Mm. So the year of traditional economy was meant to provide awareness to all of the communities around Vanuatu on what are the values that you have that are given to you in the traditional economy. Now based, um, on, the, based on the Melanesian values, right? Right. And, okay. and so this program was led through the cultural center. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a two-year, it was supposed to be one year, but the government extended it for an additional year as, uh, again. Mm -hmm. uh, and they hit every community and had discussions with everyone about uh, sort of defining what the traditional economy is mm -hmm. in their terms and helping to illustrate what the uh, benefits are of um, keeping and maintaining a traditional economy. Mm -hmm. um, Sorry, we have a plane here. I haven't heard that in a while because we've been in lockdown. Uh, yes. So uh, essentially what happened was after 2008, uh, players from the initiators of the Year of Traditional Economy joined forces with the National Statistics Office. You had the Cultural mm -hmm. Council, which is the Malvatu Mari National Council of Chiefs. Mm -hmm. And your National Council of Women and your mm -hmm. Cultural Center, your National Museum. They all... Mm -hmm joined forces with the National Statistics Office to find grant funding um, with a calm decision approving it for mm -hmm. developing alternative indicators of well-being. So mm -hmm. this was an initiative of the people who initiated uh, the year of traditional economy and it had full government support through a, a council of ministers decision. Mm -hmm. And so essentially what happened was in 2009, they received funding and then began looking for a coordinator. And I came on board in 2010. Mm. And I came on board when we had the first regional meeting mm. to discuss what the research question would be. And that turned out to be uh, what are the determining factors mm. of a good life in the South right. Pacific. Right. Okay, so how how did you so so that's when you came were well, coming back from Bhutan, so you've already had that experience then. That's correct. Yeah. Nice. So, did you had any experience before this um, coming on apart from Bhutan? Did you did did were you when you were in Peace Corps? Did you do some other projects that were involved in traditional economy before that? Well, I lived on. The island of Palma. Mm -hmm. It's a very small island uh, so were you, in central Vanuatu. Were you in Liro? No, I was in Tahi. Oh. Tahi okay. And I was tasked with, um, as a Peace Corps volunteer, starting, mm -hmm. uh, working with the community to start a vocational school, an RTC, mm -hmm. World Training Center. And so my exposure and experience in four years' time on Palma learning the mm -hmm. language and being with uh, the families, having been adopted as well, learning that you don't have one father and one mother, right? right. You don't have, you, your social network is expansive, it's vast. Right. And it, it spans multiple islands, it spans multiple countries. Mm -hmm. So there's such a huge value that I learned about mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of the social network here, the traditional mm -hmm. social network here. And I also learned some of the, um, the challenges to neoclassical economic theory that right. are presented because of the custom here. So here, I'll tell you one anecdote. Mm -hmm. my, my mama, my mom that adopted mm -hmm. me, <clears throat> she, was, uh, uh, a, a, she was very proud of her lap lap. And uh, as many moms are, right? So in Lero, we have a market and uh, women from the area where I lived would frequently be uh, bringing their market to Lero. Mm -hmm. So carrying all their food up to about an hour away to Lero to be able to sell it 
And it's a hard track. Uh, it's a hard track that that island. I've been. I've lived well. I was there for six weeks with Peace Corps as okay. well. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Yes. I do know that they did some training there in Lira Nassar. Yes. Somewhere. That was yeah. that was us. Awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So. They, a lot of the women from the Tahi area will bring all of their garden produce that they want to sell. And sometimes mm-hmm. they'll have ready-made food. So they'll have prepared lap-laps or other mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. Um, to bring to the market and sell in Lero. Now, I, my mom, early one morning, made a lap-lap, mm-hmm. which is a very, it's a, uh, just for your listeners, maybe you can help explain the, the process Laborious. Yeah. It, yeah. it takes forever. Yeah, it takes a long time. It's mm-hmm. backbreaking, and you consider mm-hmm. the amount of time spent uh, in the field, and you know, just carrying, scratching the coconuts, and doing, mm-hmm. doing all of the work. It's a lot mm-hmm. of labor involved in creating one lap lap, mm-hmm. and then she had meat on it. She had uh, killed uh, a chicken. Mm-hmm. and put the, put the meat on the lap lap and then she cut them in very large pieces and sold each piece for 20 vatu. Wow. Now, she carried those pieces that she wrapped individually and then stacked nicely in a basket all the way up and down eight small hills to Lero mm-hmm. to sell mm-hmm. them and then came back with about 300, maybe less than 350 vatu. Which is about less than three, three and a half yeah. vatu, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm an economist, and I know that none of that was worth it from an mm-hmm. economic point of view, right? right? So if she were to have captured the fowl, the chicken, and mm-hmm. brought the live chicken to Lero and sold it live, she would have mm-hmm. got $5 right. for doing almost nothing, like mm-hmm. comparatively very little. And yet, because of how it impacts her status as a woman on the island to have people Mm. know that she has she gives a very good price and she Mm. gives a very good value and the taste of her lap lap is very good Mm -hmm. and that is part of her reputation and her status improves and so it's really it was eye-opening to me to see that status and um respect are, are so much more valuable than your opportunity costs. <laughs> and yeah. you don't necessarily have rational rational theory right. in, in the neoclassical sense, applying right. in Vanuatu most of the time. So yeah. that's why we still see today many of the stores accept uh, Kown. They accept, um, uh, well, how do we say Kown in English? Um, <laughs> debt, I guess. Like you put on... Oh, um, sure. Yeah. Like a little loan. A little loan, yes. Stores will allow people to just take things from the store and promise to pay later. Mm. Um, Because it's about uh, that connection. It's about the human connection. It's not about the debt, right? It's not about the Mm. money. It's about making sure that you maintain the relationship with the person who's taking the item out. So So, it's it's based on reciprocity and relationship and... Right. Yeah. Did I answer your question? I'm sorry. Absolutely, absolutely. And and were you making a good illustration to to highlight, you know, the difference in terms of the happiness, the well being versus measuring it from a um what shall we call it? Um what's the word? G D B. How how would you define that from a simple term? Um, measure, measure, measurement, right? Um, a measurement that is tangible, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a GDP is a measure of uh, everything that has value mm. that you consume. That everything that's produced and consumed within within a country right. that has money value, that has monetary value. Mm. That's that's all it is. So it's it's uh, it's a complicated metric, but it's right. it was it was always meant to be a metric that was aiming to measure the health and and vitality of the cash economy, and it was never intended 
to measure human well-being. And I can quote, uh, well, I can I can paraphrase mm -hmm. the person who developed GDP, who was okay. named uh, Kuznets, I think Stephen Kuznets, Kuznets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he said what his illustration was, is that any any measure that values a gun mm. several times more than a bottle of milk is problematic. Mm -hmm. So essentially what he was saying was this measure cannot, should not ever be taken as a measure of human well-being because it values things that take human life away more mm. than things that give life to humans. Like a mm. bottle of milk is, uh, for him, it was more of a metaphor of what is something that we need to nurture a child? So mm. a bottle of milk is relatively cheap in comparison to a gun. And mm. that's in terms of their market sale value as well as their production value. And if you consider the fact that both of those values get factored into GDP, mm. your GDP grows more if you produce more guns. Right. So right. The, 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 that's one of the big glaring issues with with gdp is that it values things that are detrimental mm -hmm. to human to human peace and and well-being mm -hmm. uh sometimes higher or greater than things that are very beneficial to human well-being right right i mean we we are we are witnessing a lot of that examples not just you know right now but it has been for a while so why is there a growing global consensus that countries should adopt a more holistic approach to development um, centered on advancing and maintaining human well-being instead of gross domestic product? I mean, I think you've touched a little bit on what that is, but um, why is there a global cons uh, consensus about, around this? I don't think there's global consensus. I think mm -hmm. there's a, a global a, movement. I think movement. there's quite okay. a few governments now that are becoming more and more interested in using well-being uh, proactively. So um, what I mean by that is, for example, the United States uh, has not officially collected well-being information. They won't do it. And mm. they don't. They're, they're not sort of willing to do, there's no room for experimental data collection hmm. in the Bureau what? of Statistics. And why is that? Uh, I don't know. I think it's because of congressional funding practices. Mm -hmm. uh, any sort of new spending gets, they're very hawkish with that. Mm -hmm. um, and because the Census Bureau uh, is, is, it's a, it, it, it has one foot in the political realm already right. because it's involved in redistricting and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas here in Vanuatu, where we're a hundred percent dependent on foreign funding for our data collection, mm -hmm. uh, we're able to do data collection that we're interested in as well, as long as it's part of something that's going to, uh, pr provide information that's beneficial to the country, we're mm -hmm. able to find funding for it. So it's kind of ironic that yeah. a country like the United States that can afford it will refuse to fund it just on principle, you know, and, mm -hmm. and use excuses that, oh, there's not enough evidence. So there's plenty of evidence. This, yeah. And uh, the, the OECD has developed standards for the collection and reporting of subjective well-being data. So mm -hmm. even if you don't want to experiment with, uh, you know, social research to find out what Amer what makes Americans have a good mm. life and develop yeah. indicators that can correspond to that. Even if you don't want to do that, you can at least measure subjective well-being and get an idea of or be able to build profiles of thriving Americans in different locations. Right. Because it's different. You'll, you'll find a different quality of life enjoyed uh -huh. by uh -huh. some people in New York City, and mm -hmm. you'll find a very different version of that in where I'm from in northern New Hampshire. Right. Um, so it, I think it's critically important that we that we find a way to include those metrics in every country's reporting. Mm -hmm. uh, but not every country does report them. And I know that the United States allows reporting. They just don't consider it. So Gallup World Poll does mm -hmm. daily uh, subjective well-being call uh, surveys uh, or high-frequency phone surveys in the United mm. States, but none right. of them are considered official statistics. 
So mm -hmm. unless our Bureau of Statistics gets involved and mm -hmm. becomes actively engaged in collecting and um, analyzing and disseminating information on well-being, then essentially mm. it's not an official statistic. And in Vanuatu, it is. Mm. So it's almost like... Um, also, mm. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to give you examples of places mm. where um, the government has. So in the developed world, you have uh, a group of countries known as... Oh, what were they called? Oh, well, uh, we all got... So that's the Wellbeing Economy Alliance, mm -hmm. uh, and that's Iceland, Scotland, oh. uh, New Zealand, mm -hmm. and one just joined. And I'm not sure who, and I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. But essentially, New Zealand two years ago launched their first well-being budget. So there's another example of a country, uh, a, a national government that is collecting well-being information and also using their budget process to be mm -hmm. able to uh, channel uh, f funding to things that be are beneficial to human well-being. Right, right. So that's something that could be inspiring to even Vanuatu, to other countries as well, is how do you develop a well-being budget? What does a well-being economy look like? Mm. And what Vanuatu has done is look at how do you listen to your people and develop a set of indicators mm -hmm. that adheres to what they consider as um, necessary for living mm -hmm. a good life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was going to say that it sounds like this GDP only shows like it's basically like an incomplete picture. Uh, in terms of the pro progress of any country, if you're not going to... Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's really uh, essentially a lot of a lot of a lot of countries that were developing indicator sets. So there mm -hmm. are countries. The UK has developed. Uh, they've collected well-being. Australia mm -hmm. has their own sort of version. And essentially, what they what the tagline is always saying is we're going beyond GDP because it is right. incomplete. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So in Vanuatu, um, going back to. Um, you know, I think we started a conversation talking about you had met, you covered a little bit about, you know, the um, and obviously I am from Vanuatu, understand the whole um, strive for uh, self-reliance was basically for land. So my question is, is, so in terms of this, if you're looking at the well-being, would that come back to being land, the premises of happiness then, which constitutes to the well-being of the people um of Vanuatu. We, we have found that access, free access to land is, has a connection, has a correlation mm -hmm. with um, well-being. So people are happier when they have access. Usually, if you have access and you have the ability to transform that access into things that improve your life, mm -hmm. like housing, medicine, food, transportation, etc. Mm -hmm. So do you think that uh, this, uh, obviously, you've, you, the report that just came out um, in 2000, was it 2020? Um, are you, you and your team, um, are you hoping that this would be something that then can be replicated to other Melanesian countries? Well, this, so this report that came out, it was published last year in 2021, mm -hmm. um, but the collection period was a 12-month collection period in the field because mm -hmm. it was an expanded household income and expenditure survey. So essentially, right. we're, we're collecting, for the first time, a comprehensive set of well-being indicators that includes consumption information and production mm -hmm. information, so some of the more income-based uh, information along with employment and uh, disasters, shocks, economic shocks. So we're, we're including everything in one survey. It took us 12 months to collect so that we were able to correct for seasonality. And, um, mm -hmm. and now that the report is out, what we want to make sure we do is provide additional tools and outlets for getting the information out back to the people because this belongs to them. Right. So that's the biggest challenge that we have and we've it's the biggest challenge that i've been faced with since i started mm -hmm. working here is 
a very it's very difficult to communicate statistics statistics uh, yeah meaningfully mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. A, pop- a population any population of people mm-hmm. it's very difficult mm-hmm. because you have to figure out ways to sort of uh, gain an audience mm-hmm. where it necessarily isn't uh exciting yeah so, so yeah, can ahead. you can you give us an example because that that is very true um i think that's in any in any kind of projects that you do you the 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 end goal is to always um you know return return the data back to the people um so i completely understand that so what what give 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 me an example like what is the one thing that it's really hard to to transform or to 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 produce and then and then and then give that message to the people well, uh, this, the amount of information that was collected, the sheer volume of mm. information that is produced is kind of a hard sell. I mean, if, when you produce a, 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 a thick analysis report, it doesn't matter how well you, you use your phrasing, your, mm. how well your narrative is, is produced. It doesn't matter how nice your visuals are. I mean, you could have some, some great charts that are, know easy to understand and but because of the size of the document itself it's already going to turn off so many people they're just not going to ever read it so even though that's still considered today a requirement of statistics is to produce Mm -hmm. these big big analysis reports Mm -hmm. um, we try to do fact sheets as well these shorter um, theme focused five or six page documents Mm -hmm. that can be a little bit more uh, appealing to people. And then we also try to develop infographics, which are Mm -hmm. pictorial and and much, uh, they use more iconography and um, uh, things that people can relate to and understand, even if they don't understand what percentages, fractions and decimals are, they should be able to create a picture in their mind of what, of what this statistic is saying based Mm -hmm. on the infographic. So we do that work as well, but we share it through social media. So we're, Mm -hmm. we're counting on people that have access to Facebook and, um, uh, and the internet to be able to, to see that. Mm. We also have produced videos in the past. So okay. I, I know our project has produced a YouTube video uh, that helps explain in uh, simple terms mm-hmm. what the three domains are that we look at when we're, when we're considering these alternative indicators of well-being. Mm-hmm. And that has proven to be very that catches people's attention, holds it, and it makes an impact. So okay. that was quite successful for us in the past. And that's, you just go to YouTube and search well-being in Vanuatu. It's the first one that pops up. Mm. Uh, but it's 20 minutes long. And so unless you're in a community with a projector and a DVD player, and you go ahead and, and put that up and people watch it, because they will watch it if it's up, mm-hmm. uh, the online audience doesn't, give it the full 19 minutes they won't it's you can't hold people's attention that long on the internet so that's that's our challenge there is that we would need to produce something much shorter Uh and we have uh, with the help of other partners and stuff but uh, right now what I'm looking at is a podcast series developing with the NSCB baseline survey Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to have series based on topics so it'll have like a health series It'll have an education series. It'll have a, a, a production series, and we'll mm-hmm. be having people with real stories to okay. tell, be the ones that tell their story, and then have the statistic explained at the end. So, a little two, three minute um, uh, audio files that can be shared easily through Bluetooth sharing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three files. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping that 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 is something that people will get into and get excited about because it'll be storytelling mm-hmm. which is uh how people learned information before and retained it before not through written yeah. reports yeah uh, and it's stories that are told by the people themselves so if it's yeah. a story about uh people with disabilities access to public transportation then we'll have someone with an actual story to tell that, that who has a disability 
who's mm. willing to, you know, be recorded, tell mm. their story and then follow that up with information from the survey. So that yeah. way we're, we're storytelling, but we're, at, we're informing at the same time. We're giving yeah. back that information. Well, it sounds like stories are always the, the way to go in, you know, building, um, building this, you know, the, the, creating creating not just stories but creating the images in the, their mind that can understand um what you guys have been putting together i mean it is it is a hard thing to <laughs> to try and translate and so and on top of it you know of course vanuatu you know we talk when we we talk about the low rate of literacy that's another thing that you know you probably be coming up against um so it is a lot to think about and a lot to plan about and having creative ways to dispose this information. And so I'm, I think that probably perhaps stories are probably the best way to go. Um, so what, what is the people's plan? What is, what is the people's plan? So um, I'm, the, the people's plan is, uh, it's the central planning framework. It's known as the National Sustainable Development Plan. Uh-huh. And it has a 15-year uh, uh, time frame. So starting, okay. it finishes in 2030, 2016 at 2030. And, and uh, the project, and the project that you guys just did—that's also part of that. It was the, the it survey. Was it mm. certainly was. So essentially, okay. we did we did our initial pilot studies and uh, research, and then we also worked in the region with Fiji, Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea and Kanaki, New Caledonia, to develop questionnaires mm. okay. uh, that could fit their needs as well. And mm-hmm. at the same time in Vanuatu, they went through a process of looking at what's going to take the place of the priority action agenda, which is the previous central policy framework in Vanuatu. And mm. what, was, what was determined uh, in their own research was that they wanted a more balanced development and they wanted three pillars of society economy and environment Mm. and they wanted those pillars to be on a foundation of culture oh wow okay when they developed their their policy objectives Mm -hmm. um, they wanted the indicators that were going to measure success against them to include uh all of the indicators that we have available through official statistics including um the alternative indicators of well-being. So right. we have now a mandate up in at least through 2030 to continue collecting subjective well-being, continue collecting information on people's access to indigenous land, mm-hmm. continue collecting uh, uh, information on people's basic production skills, so their ability mm-hmm. to produce housing, produce food, produce medicine. Mm-hmm. Where we have that mandate to collect uh, information on people's daily use of indigenous language because that's mm-hmm. the vessel of traditional knowledge. And right. uh, there's so many of the indicators that were developed through the pilot study that we now have a mandate and a license mm. to keep collecting, which mm. is really great because it means that um, this survey that we've just recently uh, completed and published the report of uh, last year, mm-hmm. the NSB baseline survey, is the first time that the information can be used for decision making. So. I am looking forward to seeing how mm-hmm. some of this information can impact policy. And so mm, there are things like yeah. um, to provide incentives for uh, uh, public health to begin research and development into traditional mm. medicine. Oh, that'd be good. You know, th- there, are, there are countries in the world that have mm. wings of their Mm. main hospitals that are devoted to traditional medicine and Mm -hmm. doctors trained to determine whether or not you can be, um, your, your illness or your predicament can be addressed through traditional healing practices. Mm. Uh, And in Vanuatu, we certainly should be doing something similar to that because I can tell you up until now. Yeah. I was going to say that. (laughs) Every public health official has, has, has used, Traditional medicine. Traditional medicine. Speak about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Traditional medicine is being used by almost everybody, and yep. it's not spoken of in official policy. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that's the wrong way to go. Like we should, we should be yeah. able to acknowledge that this is something that we have. This is not something that we should um, right. 
discount. It should right. be something that has uh, that that becomes available, and we need to respect it. So. It's possible well, now because we, we currently, through these indicators, we, uh, we measure people's access to traditional medicine. We, access, mm-hmm. we measure people's access and their ability to, uh, access to it? deliver, uh-huh. deliver um, traditional massage, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so these are now indicators that are available, which means right. that it opens a door for policy. It opens yeah. that door for saying, Maybe we should go like based on this information. We're going to invest in research and development. In yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's one one example. Another example might be providing incentives for changing school calendars so that young people spend more time on their own land. Mm-hmm. So having the school the school um, holidays. The two week mm-hmm. holidays that are spaced throughout the year have those based around the yam planting and harvesting seasons. Mm-hmm. So that way, people are with their families, they're being productive on their land, mm-hmm. and they're not losing so much connection and so much because that's what's mm-hmm. really happening. And when you go home for Christmas vacation, yeah. you're not going into the garden to be productive. So you're not spending as much time on your land, you're not spending as much time, you know being getting connected and familiarizing yourself with your mm-hmm. own um, mm. land and that's part of your identity so right these are all things that could be a, amended or adjusted or there could be mm. policy uh targeting those areas uh, yeah so we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see well i was going to say that one of your big uh, examples that's happening you know i mean a lot of people are now turning to um, let's say, well, the traditional med- use of medicine during um, COVID in a sense that they're more, I'm not saying they're using it to cure themselves, but I'm, they're using it to kind of help themselves through the process of, you know, being healthy um, and understanding uh, a lot more of that. They immediately turn to uh, traditional ways of things that they know how to take care of themselves. And I was going to, I was going to add that, um, you know, I'm probably one of the examples of, having to go from living in Vanuatu to being here, I don't tend to gravitate towards medicine all the time to put it in my mouth. I, it's the last thing. My husband would be like, you need to take medicine. I said, no, I don't need to take medicine. I just need some sleep and some water. I need a lot of fruit. So, yeah, I think that, that I mean, it's exciting. I think that this is a type of project that it definitely has a lot of branches to it. Um, you know, I see like a huge October uh, octopus with so many, many different varieties of ideas and indicators that can come out. So um, how do you think that this will help Vanuatu in the long run? Like you, you as the coordinator, um, how do you think that's going to, from what it is now, what Vanuatu is right now, you know, you're looking at these young people with using, using a technology obsessed with always on their phone or computer, when you produce something like this and there's policy changes, how does how can you see Vanuatu in, say, in 20 years' time or in uh, 30 years' time? Well, <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not able to predict the future, but I can say mm-hmm. that the, what the, the hope for this project is that it becomes institutionalized. It becomes, uh, and it, it already is, but right mm-hmm. now the mandate's only until 2030. So right. our hope is that between now and 2030, the government is able to make use of this information in ways that improve policy, or in ways that, in, not improve policy, but in ways that address policy in a way that uh, improves or sustains human well-being. Mm. So if we can make sure that development continues, but we can avoid or mitigate the bad side of it. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by the bad side of it is, uh, you know, like we said in GDP, you see a nice a nice park. Mm. A park doesn't generate value that's going to be uh, counted in GDP. But if you mm. were to pave over that park and put in a store or a big, you know, conglomerate, whatever, some business there or a factory, mm-hmm. then that counts as a, as a good thing. But the people that lived around that park before are going to feel a loss in the quality of their life right. because, right. yeah. So what this is trying to do, and I, and I believe that this is the philosophy of gross mm-hmm. national happiness as well, 
is that it's trying to shift the governance, um, the the purpose of governance away Mm -hmm. from endless economic growth to sustaining and improving human well-being. Yes. Very nice. Very well put. And last question, how, how do you see other countries adopting this practice? And if so, why? If, you know, watching Vanuatu taking on this new path or the path that, um, you know, would obviously make a huge difference. It's, uh, it was very organic in Vanuatu. So I think prescribing a certain way for a country mm-hmm. to, to go about things is not going to be very uh, effective. We did mm-hmm. try. Mm-hmm. In 2013 to 2015, the project was based temporarily at the Melanesian Spearhead Group Secretariat, so the MSG Secretariat, and mm-hmm. we worked again with all of the member countries there, Fiji, Solomon Islands, uh, Papua New Guinea, and Kanaki New Caledonia, mm-hmm. to develop modules that, that are adapted to their cultural um, needs mm-hmm. and that they could incorporate into their, into their surveys excuse me, into their surveys mm-hmm. at their will. And then mm-hmm. what we found was that the only country that was willing to actually trial them was mm-hmm. Fiji. Mm-hmm. And they partnered with us. So we, we helped them with the analysis of it. We helped them um, produce uh, a basic set of comparative findings. Mm-hmm. And then they transferred the project over to the Ministry of Itauke Affairs. Mm-hmm. And from there... Now, mm-hmm. Fiji has a brand new project mm-hmm. that is called uh, Village Profiling. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's called Village Profiling. And what they do is they take and they use com- computer-assisted personal interview technique, which is what we use here. Mm-hmm. So it means that you do your survey on a tablet and mm-hmm. um, it, it allows you to do uh, quick analysis mm-hmm. uh, and also quick data cleaning as well basically going through one community, collecting information on, uh, you know, access to resources, on traditional knowledge, uh, on community vitality in one, in one community, and then reporting the information, the findings back to that same community. Mm. And that's something that we have not done in Vanuatu that I think would be really valuable is you collect information from one community and then you prepare a report about that community and deliver it to that community so you're saying here's Mm -hmm. the information because then that you're giving the leaders there uh the chiefs the women leaders Mm -hmm. the youth leaders you're giving them ideas on maybe where they want to take their own development uh, in the future Mm -hmm. so for example if if we report back that we found that on average uh households in this community have four gardens that are actively being cultivated that they have they have food growing in. now if i'm in the community and i hear that information read back to me mm-hmm. in a presentation and i'm a young guy who uh, just started my family and i have two gardens mm-hmm. that i've been working maybe that'll give me a clue that maybe i'm being i'm not pulling my weight i need to be pr- more productive Right. Right. I'm not doing enough. So Mm. here's ways in which that information, I can see so much potential in that. And Mm -hmm. that's Fiji's own organic uh, interpretation of this initiative, which is why I appreciate it so much. Vanuatu took it very far and Mm -hmm. Vanuatu has other areas that it could take it. And that's Fiji's giving us a good example of where it could take it. I think that there's so much... um, resonating about this initiative with other Pacific Island countries. Right, uh, right. The, I'm not sure exactly what the issue is that prevents them from moving forward with it. I know that in Solomon Islands and in Papua New Guinea, the issue looked to be money, mm. which is, again, the reason why the United States won't won't do something like this. So to me... Every, every country in the Pacific is dependent to some degree on foreign funding for, for data collection. Mm-hmm. So if Vanuatu can do it, then mm-hmm. they can as well. Mm-hmm. And we found that in the 2013-2015 period, when we had uh, a mandate, a decision from the Leader Summit mm-hmm. that said every country is to pilot this, there's no, um, there's no uh, teeth to that decision. There's no, there's no enforcement mechanism in 
inter intergovernmental organizations. <laughs> so as long as you pay your dues, you pay your fees to be a member of this intergovernmental body, just like the mm -hmm. United Nations. Right. You know, uh, not to show my colors or anything, but you know, you could <laughs> if if you're Russia, you can still sit at the head of the Security Council, mm -hmm. even though you're you know, that it 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 blows my mind how how little intergovernmental decision making. Uh, authority there really is there's there's really no enforcement mechanism there's no way to make sure that leaders are making these decisions so the, mm. the leaders of these countries said we're going to do this but then it didn't get done and why mm. it didn't get done is because it just there was no organic there wasn't a, a large enough common felt need right to to change mm -hmm. and that's right. what i think is needed so yeah. when more countries get that get that mm -hmm. feeling that we need to and vanuatu really because it was considered a least developed country and it, it was, that was the thrown mm -hmm. a narrative, a negative mm -hmm. narrative of their mm -hmm. identity. That mm -hmm. was really a big push as well. We need to develop our own indicators that reflect what we know to be the values that we, that we hold uh, dear. Right. So it, it really does take something. So um, last question, have you seen any changes already in policies in terms of like what the, the results of, of this study that you've done, the surveys that have, your team have come up with? Uh, that's probably some of the changes in the policies that may be happening in the government, the, this current government. Have you seen any of that been implemented? Uh, well, the report just came out in July last year. Um, so I have not actually seen direct evidence, but I have seen movements in a direction that would that, that I would like to say are influenced by um, the information that's collected. So right. one that I can point to is the early education uh, uh, policy, early childhood education. Early policy. childhood education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I don't think it was. It's not like. Um, they didn't call me up and say we were inspired <laughs> by your indicators. Right. <laughs> you know, they didn't inform the statistics office that they were about to develop a, a new policy. Mm. But when you read the policy and you see that they put uh, they put so much um, uh, emphasis. Uh, yeah, they put so much emphasis on indigenous language use and the importance uh. of not of of not removing that from children mm -hmm. at such a young age mm -hmm. uh to me it's 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 one of the same so i would say that that was that would be a pro well-being policy mm -hmm. it might not be a policy that's been impacted by the indicators but i would say that that is a pro well-being policy because it's a policy that will enable young children to learn their language and right. therefore develop a, a stronger sense of identity um mm -hmm. Than, than before. I mean, before, a generation ago, I don't know about you, when you were growing up, but p kids used to be beat up. I'm not beat up, but like, you know, disciplined, physically. Uh, that, yes, that's... that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you, you mean in, in, in schools? Right. Yeah. Yes, that, so it that was, was... The, if, you, if you're using anything mm -hmm. other than English or other than French, you might yes. get a whip. You might get, yeah. you know, yeah. That, that was... And uh, now it's being encouraged. Yeah. Yeah, that was very much my parents' time. I think for me it was just okay. a little bit at Malapore, <laughs> but not so much. Um, so, um, yes, this is very exciting, and I'm pretty sure that you have been very busy with all of this. Um, and is there any uh, anything that you'd like to say that you hope and uh, you hope that this this policies or the results of this of this project amazing project that your team has done obviously it's ongoing um with the current situation in vanuatu and the changes that are happening around the world do you see that any of this will come to play naturally um inside the decision making of uh, as, as as the government moves forward as the countries continue to move forward in terms of like when do we open borders and all that kind of you know especially with the economy and people are turning to you know food to be more of the focus of um, you know traditional food um, traditional way of doing things 
Um, what what are your thoughts on that, and how do you see this study and to continue on into the future? Well, one good thing about this this initiative in Vanuatu mm -hmm. is that it, it has not been politicized, right? So yes, it doesn't matter who. I mean, I've, this project has seen many mm -hmm. governments right uh, in, in the last twelve years, right? right? So there's been many many different hats. Uh, mm -hmm. And all of them embrace the uh, idea behind this project, which is to represent the values uh, of the traditional economy in a much more formalized manner so that we can mm -hmm. see and we can track. Mm -hmm. uh, now that we're seeing trends and we're seeing things happening, mm -hmm. what are we going to do about it? That's the question. So okay. to me, we haven't really had the opportunity to have a policy address uh impact because mm -hmm. we've, we've only just begun reporting it really mm -hmm. right so we have now 10 years of data we can begin to do a time series analysis and look at things mm -hmm. from that perspective and, mm -hmm. and push people in certain directions but we don't want to politicize it ever mm -hmm. so one of the beautiful things about this not being political is that it has longevity it can stay right. for a very long time because just like you know um our support for a free and independent west papua and mm -hmm. uh, new caledonia mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who is in charge in vanuatu the government has that position and and it's non-political mm -hmm. and it's so that's a very beautiful thing to know that mm -hmm. this is not touching a political button it's touching an identity button it's touching exactly. something that's mm -hmm. personal so when we incorporate uh, Melanesian values into the indicators that are used for decision making. Mm -hmm. The hope is that it'll help us with decisions like when should we open our borders. Right. Um, we're already starting to see at the statistics office we have plans on doing um, rapid uh, uh, phone surveys for oh, the first okay. time. Wow. Uh, to try and gauge impact of, of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, on people's nice. livelihoods and yeah. in the nscp baseline survey we did collect information from the one-year period the 12-month period exactly preceding wow. the border closure so we have from february 2019 to mm -hmm. february 2020 and the border was closed in march 2020 so <laughs> we literally have a very clean full yeah. picture and what nice. we were able to do with partners at, like, for example, the International Labor Organization mm -hmm. is produce uh, a series of uh, uh, tables that show potential impacts of COVID mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. on families that were more dependent in the hospitality area. So hotels, mm -hmm. um, beverage and food services, uh, transportation services. So what 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 that would look like in terms of job losses, mm. uh, potentially. Mm. And now that we're doing phone surveys, we're able to uh, say that more with, with more uh, authority because it's not mm -hmm. an assumption. Now we're actually saying we know this to be true. Right. Um, what I would say for well-being is being able to go out in the field and collect subjective well-being information again mm -hmm. and do comparative studies would right. be beneficial. That is mm -hmm. not in the plan right now. In the plan okay. right now is still we have to work on delivering the information from the NSDP baseline survey okay. down to the community level. And mm -hmm. that's going to be the focus for the next year or so. Okay. Well... I'm so thankful that we were we were able to you know kind of clear all this because I think when you came out with the survey, um, it was a little bit of like you know when you get a big huge document and you you read through it, but it it makes more, uh, you know, kind of that tangible talking to a person who's who's working on it to to make sense of it, um, and hopefully our listeners can um, can see that. And where can where can people go and find? the survey report that came out last year. Okay, so for some reason, there, there have been complaints coming in that our, our website is not the easiest to follow. But if okay. you just go to www.vnso.gov.vu, okay. uh -huh. mm -hmm. that is the National Statistics Office website. And okay. you'll see some bars at the top that say mm -hmm. MSTP baseline. 
Okay. So when you click on NSCP baseline, you click on a um, uh, you click on the option that says analysis, and that mm-hmm. brings you to the five major analysis reports that we've produced. Okay. And mm-hmm. if, if you want to play around in that tab, you can see a lot of additional resources as well. We have information on uh, the survey metadata. We have information on survey design and methodology. We have information. Mm-hmm. We have nice. all of the, the reference tables are available as well that mm-hmm. are very easy to maneuver through. Okay. Um, so that's all there. The well-being, uh, the well-being report is mm-hmm. one of the analysis reports that's available. You can also find the household income and expenditure report, the labor mm-hmm. market monograph, Mm-hmm. The uh, food security report, which is fascinating. Fascinating, yeah, yeah. And uh, and the hardship report, which is our mm. way of, of referring to poverty, because right. when you say poverty, it really yeah triggers yeah a yeah. bad response. Thanks. Well, I'll, I will be sure to put that up on the uh, episode so people can check that out right away in, in uh, your website, the Statistical Office, Vanuatu Statistical Office website. So we want to thank you for your time. And uh, we hope that, uh, you know, people can visit the website and understand it more and so clear up uh, any, maybe anything that they want to understand a little bit more. Say so anything that you want to say before we, we go. Thank you to Mas Mere, thank you to Mas Olesanal, give him time, let me visit down on Matt Blivla. Nice to Mas. Nice to Mas, for me to afternoon. Well, thank you so much, and I hope you take care and stay away from, um, you know, stay apart from people, <laughs> if we can. <laughs> yes. All right, thanks so much, Mary. Uh-huh. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. podcast is created and produced by Melanesian Women Today, a non-profit organization. Please visit our website at www.melanesianwomentoday.org. That is all one word. Melanesian Women Today envisions a Pacific region where every woman, girl, and child in their respective communities in Melanesia lives a productive, healthy, and fulfilling life. We are on a mission to improve the well-being and quality of lives and also to promote and improve leadership in women and girls in their communities. Please consider making a donation today on our website to support our work. Thank you for your support.